Hey everybody and welcome to the latest instalment of Unstoppable. I am your host Kerwin Ray and today on this episode I sit down with renowned digital strategist, keynote speaker and media commentator Mark Cameron. Mark is actually the CEO of W3 Media. He's also a regular on the conference circuit sharing his knowledge on customer experience and digital marketing strategies. If you're looking to understand more about the digital world and digital marketing but most importantly understanding the customer experience in all of this which is dominant in everything, this is going to be an incredible podcast for you. Check it out, listen up and get ready to learn. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mark Cameron from W3 Digital. Ah, thank you. Mate, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, likewise, mate. You're a bit of a big deal. So for those people who perhaps don't know uh, anything about you or, or W3 Digital, just give us a small snapshot on who you are and, and what you guys do there. Uh, right, so I'm I'm CEO of W3 um, and we've been running since... 2003. Um, and really what we do, uh, we focus predominantly on digital transformation and digital transformation consulting. Yeah, right. So we work, um, currently we work predominantly with uh, with corporates. So we're a Telstra innovation partner um, and we work with sort of corporates all around the, all around the world, um, helping them move through um, through different phases of digital transformation. And in summary, and what that actually means is for most most corporates going through that kind of transformation, what it actually means is the market's shifting fast. Yeah. The customers are getting more and more demanding. And we're trying to help them help them speed up their company so they can they can meet that demand and change course when it when it's market shifts. Right. So and, and so what does that look like at a technological aspect? Like when you say digital transformation, what's the technology that drives that? It's uh, yeah. It's a, it's kind of um, so. There's an underlying technology. So yeah. you know. So you have you have your your data, your CRM. You have your you know. You have all different different kinds of kind of base technology. Right. Then you have the top level aspect of it. So the the customer intimacy piece. So the bits that the customer interact with. And then of course you have your um, your kind of more more marketing and more kind of like content side of it. Um, and so. We, we kind of look at kind of the whole gamut of, of how that's actually intersecting. So how technology is intersecting with the customer. Yeah, right. And when we're talking about digital transformation, we anchor it around the customer. Okay. So how does the customer going to respond to it? So the customer experience. Yeah, yeah, fundamentally. So yeah. You're, you guys really look at integrating everything between the content interaction to the CRM to the e-commerce so that you're building data. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, funda- well, I mean fundamentally what we're looking at is how does, how does the business – Meet the meet the demands of a, of a new market. Right. So, if you think about where the space around digital or technology transformation has gone over the last pretty much since the GFC, um, the first phase was okay. We're in pain. We've got to cut cost. So it was mostly IT transformation really there. Yeah, right. So it was actually getting cost out of the business. Then it was okay. We need to we need to connect with customers in a new way. So that was really a lot about marketing automation and and getting close to customers. And now the the new phase, and this is where where businesses are starting to move more and more, is actually where those two things intersect, and they find new business models and new revenue streams and new ways of actually engaging with customers. Yeah, right. And so for maybe a, a medium size or a small size business that's listening to this, where would they be looking to find that intersection and to get that information to look at how they could be perhaps creating new revenue new revenue streams and new 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 opportunities. Yeah, I think this doesn't necessarily have to be confined to large corporates. I mean, yeah, right. any kind of business can think this way. Um, and it's almost like what you're doing is essentially what every small business is going to have to be doing in like whether it be 12 months to three years from now. Absolutely, yeah. And the, the, the corporates just happen to be the one that have the bigger budgets that can lead the way. 
Yeah, well, the corporates are the ones that are feeling the pain. Yeah, right. So, you know, particularly older older businesses that um, where, you know, they're starting to see, um, you know, maybe a change in the market, they haven't kept up with it. And what's happening is, you know, a vacuum starting to form. And if, you know, if they don't move fast enough, um, somebody's going to come and fill that vacuum. So either it's going to be a startup, it's going to be a brand from overseas with a whole bunch of private equity, or it's going to be, you know, a new model from within inside, you know, within inside Australia. Um, you know, we see that, you know, consumer products businesses, for example, you see that happening with um, with home brand. You know, so so mm. the you know the supermarkets come in with a home home brand strategy because those brands don't really have the connection with the customer and know how to shift and move as the customer's demand is shifting and moving. Yeah, right. And so, how do, how are you noticing that brands differentiate in today's rapidly changing market? Because everyone seems to be like the innovation is strong. Technology is innovating at a million miles an hour. Everyone is trying to innovate at the same time. How are you seeing differentiation starting to move through at this point? Yeah, I, I think um, I think so. Innovation is an interesting term. I think some people are confusing innovation with technology implementation. Mm. I think you know, sort of implementing a CRM and, and doing some doing some marketing and so on is good, but it doesn't necessarily differentiate you. Um, I think where um, what what we're seeing is, you know, the models that are really really clear, you know, moments of thought or really clear alignment to brand is where the big differentiation happens. So, if you take um, a really, I mean, case study I love talking about is when when Nike was thinking through an element of their digital strategy, you know, probably ten years ago now. Um, and they did have the option of focusing on data collection, segmentation, and then sending out more and more messages mm. um, through automation to um, you know to attract more customers. And and fundamentally, many and many businesses have done that. The issue with that that model quite often is it can just be a trap because you have you have um, you know quite often you get sort of caught in the trap of just reporting and reporting on progress. And what happens there is um, they end up just getting a cycle of creating smarter and smarter spam, really. Yeah, right. You know, like it's, yeah, yeah. it's not actually making much of a difference. Yeah. So what did Nike do? So Nike said, well, our brand is not about selling shoes or selling clothes. Our brand is about performance. Can we help our customers perform better? And so they went through and started thinking about that. And what do they do? They invented Nike Plus, which was essentially a sensor in the shoe that helped track your running. And then it became a wristband, and then that gave birth to the whole fitness tracking sort of market. And then, then it became an app on your phone, and then it became an app on your watch. And, and you know, kind of where, where we imagine this goes is that probably in the very, very near future, um, I'll get up in the morning, go for a run, I'll put my headphones on, and Nike's voice will say to me, you know, morning, Mark, you know, I've got your personalized, personalized training regime ready for you today. This is what we're going to go do. And all of a sudden, it's an you know, artificially intelligent personal trainer that's talking to me every day. That makes so much sense. Are there any other great case studies like that that you can refer to? Are there other businesses that have really looked at their digital strategy and innovated in a way that you know, is quite groundbreaking in that respect? I mean, I think there's, I mean, I think there's a lot of businesses doing elements of yep. that. Um, and you, know, you look at the, I mean, obviously, you look at the software as a services businesses that have grown up yep. in that space. They're, the, they're obviously the ones that you know, everybody points to. Um, you know, obviously the Ubers and all those kinds of things where it's, it's they identified a gap in the market or what the market need was yeah. and really addressed that. And the technology enabled it, but it wasn't really, it wasn't, I mean, people call it digital, digital um, disruption. It was really the market. You know, dis, digital disruption really is just customer dis- dissatisfaction. 
Um, so as soon as you start to address that, I think that's where you know that's where the big change happens. And what you really, what you guys really look at, from my understanding, and what you pointed out with the di- the Nike case, it's the digital experience, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And it's the, is that and the digital experience is about provide is it, is it is it just about meeting the consumer where they're at, but is it also about providing an experience that also gives us more data to be able to meet them where they're at more efficiently and effectively at the same time. I think I mean it, it's going to be it, it's going to be horse you know sort of horses for courses. I mean you know, whatever is yeah. right for that market, that brand. But fundamentally, if you can be thinking about what is what is something I can do for my customer that provides value ongoing. So I might have a product, but what is the service that goes along with my product? The digital service. Can I create community around my brand? Mm. Um, you know, what can I can I create? You know, can I have some kind of value? Can I get my my, my the people sharing information? Can I give them data back in some way? So you know, so for example, with the Nike Plus idea, the data around how fast their customers were running in their shoes and how far they're running their shoes probably didn't exist. They created it and then gave it back to the customers immediately, saying, "This is what we know about you," which helped. The customer performed better, but it also gave them a lot more information. And you can pretty much guarantee now with that level of information, they'll know exactly how long a pair of shoes lasts. Mm. They'll know that when, if you buy that pair of shoes that, you know, they don't need to market to you the whole way through. They know that within, you know, sort of two or three week period that that, that pair of shoes is going to be, you know, ready to throw away and they can talk to you about another pair. Yeah, right. That's really intelligent. So how would a like a small or medium-sized business start to tap into that kind of insight to be able to market in that kind of a way? So I think, I mean, I mean, I think looking for the information in between, you know, in between the data. So I mean, obviously collecting information about your customers. So who they are, where they are, you know, all those bits of information is, is important as long as it's done in a transparent way. But trying to identify the piece of information that's valuable for you and valuable for them. If you can find that little piece of information and it can be something really, really simple, um, then that's where you actually find, that's where your spark of innovation will happen. That's where you, that's where you can create a differentiator that nobody else has. Do you think the way Nike, because it, it seems really interesting the way Nike has done this. Like, it's almost like they've gamified data collection. Hmm. Like they've, they've, they've created this competitive environment where people can race against themselves, race against their friends, yeah. their families, and everything else. But at the same time, they're willingly and wantingly providing enormous amounts of data that Nike can now use in order to remarket to them in different ways, whether it be, because I'm going to assume it doesn't just come down to the lifespan of the shoes, but it also could be the types of shoes, the styles of shoes, the types of training these people are doing, yep. create all sorts of remarketing opportunities. Well, add in product development opportunities as yeah, well, right. those are product design opportunities. There'll be a lot of, there'll be a, that kind of level of information gives yep. them a, just a huge amount of leverage. So how do we look at as a small business owner or a medium-sized business owner, how should we analyze our digital experience? Are we just looking at every digital like interaction or is there a sequence that you go through when you're working with an organization to go, okay, if we're going to analyze our digital experience before we start to innovate it and maybe look at disrupting it, here's where we start and this is the flow that we go through. Yeah, I mean, I think what what we do is, is before we really think about anything to do with technology or digital yeah. data or any of those things, we really try and create focus. So, we're, so um, we call it future state design. So what we're doing is working with the organization to go, what, what does your future state really look like? You know, where are you now? How would you like to be engaging your customers? What does that really look like? And then start to ask big, um, big questions around, around the market. So, you know, 
what may your market look like in a few years? What may, what, uh, what may artificial intelligence do to your business? What may a change in, um, a change in sort of global economics do to your business? So big questions that most people don't think about. Just ask them. We don't have to know it all, but what we're trying to do is get people to think differently about what that future state could be. And then when they've sort of really, when they're really sort of comfortable saying this is where we're heading, um, then we can start to talk about, okay, well, how do we get there? And that's where we start looking through the elements of, okay, well, what channels are right? Where should you focus? Because you can't do everything. Mm. Um, you're better off sort of focusing on a few things and doing them really, 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 really well rather than trying to do everything, obviously. And how much is social media playing a role in the digital experience now in the work that you were doing? Uh, I mean, in some cases, a lot. In yeah. some cases, huge, hugely. some cases, not so much, um, depending on the type of business and, and where it comes into play. So, you know, government organizations, huge amount. Yeah. Um, sort of organizations with public face, a huge amount. Um, organizations who are going through product transformation, very little sometimes. And I, I guess one of the things I'm finding very interesting, everyone's got an opinion on social media as to, you know, its place in business. But from what you're seeing right now, and how long have you been in the digital space? You, uh, since the 90s. Right. So you've been around since the beginning of the internet. Right? Yeah, pretty okay. much. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you've seen it all. You, you've seen every, things come, things go. But what are some of the trends that you're now seeing in social media that a lot of people are missing that seem to be quite obvious? Um, well, I think, I mean, to me, the big one yeah. um, is... And of course, you know, there's been a huge amount of media about it is, is what's happening with, you know, the whole Cambridge, Cambridge Analytica, the data piece around that. Yeah. So that's, that's, um, that's to do with um, the emergence of, in the, in, the, in the mind of the public, the emergence of, hang on, my data has value. And I think that's a huge shift that's starting to happen right now. And I think it's going to get bigger and bigger. So what that means is, is while while the public was pretty much willing to give away lots and lots and lots of information for a long time and, you know, to get sometimes really meaningless um, experiences, they're now starting to become much more discerning and, and much more demanding. So the value exchange going on there is going to, is going to get harder, um, but that's going to put pressure on businesses to spend more time creating truly valuable experiences, which I think is actually a good, very good thing. I agree because I, I, I look at the Cambridge, um, the, like the whole debacle that's gone on with Facebook and, I, and, I, and I, I'm, I sit in two beds, but the first bed I sit in is I actually like giving more data to Facebook as long as they use it in a meaningful way to create a more valuable experience for us. And I think this seems to be one of the things that people are missing. Like, like yes, there was this anomaly where this data was used and it was harvested for, you know, for political gain. But for the most part, my understanding, Facebook is using this data to customize the experience, to create better users experience, user experiences, which is of value to us. Because mm. most people use Facebook, you know, typically because they're, you know, they're connecting with friends, they're connecting with brands, they're looking for information, they're watching videos. And ultimately, most people that I've heard get off Facebook say, well, I'm getting off Facebook. Why? Well, it's just not the same as it used to be. I'm not, get, <laughs> it's, I'm not getting as much value from it as what so once was. And it's all well, that's part of the deal, right? Yeah, yeah. We give value to these companies so that they can customize the experience, so that they can provide more value. So do you think that, it's a, that there's the possibility at some point that, that there might be certain, certain social media networks that will be looking at perhaps rebating their customers in a way to provide data just so they can customize the experience in order to create a better ad platform for, uh, for advertisers? I mean, quite possibly. I mean, I think um, the whole question of what happens with customer data mm. and how it's going to be used, I think, is a really interesting evolving space. I think um, so you've got 
obviously you've got social platforms that have a huge amount of information about you. And um, obviously that's being used for advertising and, and it's creating, creating a huge amount of value. Um, then you've got, um, then you've got, you know, other platforms um, that are starting to collect a huge amount of information about you as well, um, such as, you know, personal assistance, for example. So the digital assistants, you know, trying to get smarter and smarter, they only really become valuable when they know a lot about mm. you and they can make predictive, they can start to predict mm. what you might want or where you might want to go. That's when they become truly valuable. But the level of information that you have to give over is, is enormous. So do you think we're going to see something like a Jarvis in our, in our lifetime? Yeah, totally. So, um, so we did some work with uh, a large software company in the States um, uh, a few years ago now. Um, and one of the things we were being asked to do was look at um, what will happen with the emergence of consumer data and, um, and how, how, that might, how that might change. And, and what, we, what we worked through was basically saying, and, and this has really played out over the last few years, was saying that, um, that customer data uh, over time really will become valuable when it's centered around the individual. Mm. So if you think about it, you probably have lots of data sitting inside many, many different data silos. Mm -hmm. So your loyalty cards, your credit cards, your you know, social, all your different social accounts. If all of that information was coming together into one spot and it was providing value for you, then that information would be really, really, really valuable. Um, and yes, Facebook has a huge amount and Google has a huge amount, but the two of them together would be more powerful. Mm. And the two of them together with all your credit card information, your loyalty card and everything else, even more powerful. The problem is if it's just creating, if it's just about advertising, the, you know, it's hard to trust it. Yeah. But if it's about helping you have, you know, helping you make better decisions. Becoming more efficient, more yeah. effective. Yeah. 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 So there was, um, making life easier. There was a narrative that when we were doing that work, we did a sort of the theory of it and sort of saying there's probably going to be a whole new market segment around um, a whole new industry around looking after customer data that doesn't exist at the moment. But we um, we created a narrative um, around how that might look. And um, so we created a fictional character called Alice. And this is, this is about sort of five, six years ago when we created this and because and, we're trying to explain how this might work. Um, so we created this woman called Alice and Alice sort of lives in the near future um, and she has a, a digital assistant and, and that digital assistant only ever asks her one thing. So what do you want to do? So what are you going to do today, tomorrow, with the rest of your life? And it takes those requests and tries to help her have make better decisions. Um, so in this, this particular case, so Alice wakes up on a Monday morning, um, digital assistant says, morning Alice, you know, what do you want to do? And she says, you know what? Um, well, she's, first of all, she says morning, but then she says, you know what? Um, last week I worked late every night and I didn't really get out and do any exercise. So this weekend I'd love to, you know, do some exercise. Um, and last night I was sitting up in bed and I was looking at Facebook and I saw a bunch of my old school friends and, um, and I'd like to hang out with them, but, um, you know, they're all putting photos up of, of, you know, their holidays and I don't really know how to get the conversation started. So if you've got any ideas there, let me know. And instantly the digital assistant said, well, last summer you played tennis a lot. Do you want to play tennis this weekend? She goes, yeah, I'd love to. And he goes, well, that's good because of your friends that you want to hang out with, here are the three that are currently playing tennis. Do you want to see if one of them wants to play with you? And she goes, yep, sure. It then sends a message to all three of them. One of them says, yes, I'd love to play tennis with Alice this weekend. And then um, it automatically finds a tennis court between their two houses, books them in for Saturday morning, and they both go, Awesome. But because Alice has then said, um, uh, when it comes to tennis, I'm willing to hear from Nike, 
the digital assistants then says, hey, Alice, um, I've got a message here from Nike. Do you want to hear it? She goes, yeah, I'd love it. Um, and then so then Nike's voice comes on and says, hey, Alice, see so you're playing tennis this weekend. Do you want a free virtual tennis lesson by Roger Federer through your Xbox? She goes, yeah, awesome. So every night she gets home. She plays, you know, she gets, she gets you know, Roger Federer sort of takes her through her forehand and her backhand and so on. And then uh, Friday night rolls around. Um, and then um, at the end of her lesson, so virtual Roger Federer says to her, hey, Alice, I think you've, you know, you've improved enormously over the last week. I think this tennis rack would be right for you. Click here to customize the color and we'll have it 3D printed and waiting for you by the time you get to the court tomorrow morning. And I think that model, that idea of how we're connecting people's people's desires and wants and the things that will make them feel better as, as people with transactions, with with the way, you know, how that gets commercialized. Mm-hmm. I think that that is starting to happen now. And I think that will move very, very quickly over the next few years. How, how far off do you think we are? Did you see the movie Her? Yeah, yeah. La, you obviously you probably would you would have frothed on that. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that and I was like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to have Scarlett Johansson in your ear, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But how far off do you think we are to having a level of sophistication in technology like that, where we literally have something in our ear, where we can not only you know request and have that our life set up and structured that way, but have levels of conversation where there's actually an intelligent conversation going on that not only helps us make decisions, but actually supports us in the decision making process through good conversation. Um, I think. The technology, so the artificial intelligence aspect of it and the technology is getting there reasonably quickly. Um, the bit that needs to change is where does the data sit? Yeah, okay. Um, so where does all my information Do sit? we need to surrender the desire for, for privacy at the highest level in order to really indulge in this level of sophistication? I'm unsure. I'm unsure. I think, uh, I think that's, possi- that's one possibility. I think another possibility is there is a whole new market category that's created which... Security, security and regulation. Yeah, yeah well, secu- just looks after your information and shares it with businesses how you choose to use it. So, you know, there might be Nike says, I want to talk to Alice in this way. And it just you just get a small sliver of information so that interaction can happen. Right. And then it gets cut off when you say it gets cut off. Okay, right. So it's uns- unsure yet, but okay. it will be interesting to see how that evolves. And are you, do you see much in the startup space where businesses are starting to evolve with this technology and yeah. you know, trying? They're at the stage where okay, we're now we're now we've got early stage. Um, we've got the software. We've got some hardware because we're also seeing now with the innovation of these translator earbuds, mm. where people are putting these earbuds in and they're actually having conversations with people, in, you know, from different countries and it's doing live translation. Is the tech like is that a marketing hype right now, or have you actually witnessed that that technology is is is, is at a level where that's actually quite functional? Uh, I think a lot of it's still kind of hype at the moment, yep. but it's getting smarter and smarter. I mean, the more the, the thing more we with, use it, yeah. The thing about AI and machine learning and so on is the more we use it, the better it gets. Yeah, right. I mean, it's you know you look at what's happening with um, you know, Amazon Alexa, for example, mm. and you know the biggest they did they did an update recently, or yeah, a couple of months ago, and that update what it did was actually just add um, it added pauses and breaths. So, you know, it's all of a sudden Alexa's sort of thinking and pausing and taking little breaths and so on to try and make it feel more natural. Mm. And because of that, the, the more natural it sounds and feels, the more people are going to tell it, the more they're going to trust it. And so, so you, you'd imagine the level of information that, that you know, Amazon's collecting about, info, about people is just astronomical. Yeah, and building every day. Yeah. So apart from uh, like the personal assistant, where do you see the next greatest disruption that we're going to come through when it comes to AI, artificial intelligence? Um. 
Yeah, I mean, so AI is is massive, obviously. Um, I, it's it's a big, big area. So, I mean, you've got the service industry, which in many ways is going to be very, very highly, highly disrupted. Um, medical industry, so we're doing work in the medical space at the moment, which is looking at um, when does um, when does artificial intelligence intersect or, or actually supersede a human's ability to to do diagnostics and and so on. Um, you know, that's happening really reasonably quickly. Um, and then what does that what does that mean? Like, how does it, how do organisations change to take advantage of that, as opposed to put their head in the sand and hope it doesn't happen? So I think that's one big area. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be a lot. I mean, I think AI in terms of in terms of what it will do to the job market as a whole, mm. I think is is just astronomical. I don't think there's any area that won't be impacted. And when do you think we're going to start feeling the effects of that? I think we probably already are. Yeah. Early stages. Um, you mean if you have a look at, I mean, so if you think uh, artificial intelligence as a continuing you know, continuation of of analytics and automation, um, I mean, you have a look at what's happened um, around the world really since the GFC. Um, there are, in, in many ways. You know, there's a lot of jobs created, but but there's been a lot, you know, sort of fewer full-time jobs. There's mm. a lot of part-time jobs. Um, wages, in many cases, have sort of stagnated in many areas. And a lot of that is, has to do with automation. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so that's why, you know, there's a lot of discussion around things like universal basic income and all that kind of stuff. You know, what, what do we do? Do you think that's something that we'll, be, we'll see in our lifetime as well? Um, well, Canada, I think so, the... Prime Minister of uh, Prime Minister of Canada, um, I think this week announced that uh, universal basic income was going to be part of part of their platform going forward. Yeah, right. I, That's big. It's big. I don't know if they. I mean, Finland tried it um, and said they weren't that impressed with it. Right. Um, but they tried it with, you know, sort of randomly in the in the um, in the population. So not not universal. <laughs> um, I don't know if it will work or not, but okay. um, be. Interesting. It's interesting that people are thinking about it. And considering we're going to start seeing more and more innovation and more and more implementation in the AI space, um, again, I think a lot of small to medium-sized businesses see that's something that's going to be out of their reach for a very long time. Mm. What what aspects of AI do you think will be within you know apart from basic automation? Because there's you know we've got basic automation that's available to us in you know in different technology, software, CRM, yep. you know, email marketing. But what 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 types of AI do you think will be within reach to a small to medium sized business owner that will help them with efficiencies and servers, mm. maybe in the next say five to ten years? So I think a lot of the stuff um, they may be doing in terms of um, a lot of the administrative elements, such as uh, contract writing or contract reviews. Um, uh, so a lot of the legal side of it, a lot of the accounting side of it, they'll probably find there are that you know, particularly if they're, they're already on the platforms like like Zero and so on, they'll probably find there are artificial intelligence add-ons to that that come very quickly that reduce administrative overhead with inside their businesses quite quickly. Um, and then and then there'll be um, artificial intelligence sort of insights developed off the back of that. So looking at um, if you've got a large enough audience, looking at how your audience may be shifting. So rather than thinking about broad segments, but Based on you know con piece you know day to day, how is our audience shifting and thinking and changing mm. their ideas, and how might we respond to to that shift in the market? You talk about the four stages of development that companies move through when delivering value for customers. Can you explain what that's all about? Um, 
there's these different stages where, um, so this is part of the, um, the sort of experience economy thinking. So you sort of got these these different stages that, um, as a customer, as a as a organisation moves away from, so I suppose the kind of the idea of building commodities, they then move into, um, you know, into products quite often. So they, you know, they have they have products and they start thinking about, you know, well, how do we, you know, how do we sell a thing? Um, then then it's then it starts becoming about the the service. Okay, so then what is the service that sits around the thing that we have? Or so stage one is the thing, is it? Yeah, well, stage stage one quite kind of quite often can be just a very base level. Um, you know, commodity idea. Right. What's the commodity? Yeah. So yeah, what's idea. the commo- yeah, what's the commodity? Product, what's service? Yeah. yeah. So moving through a product, moving through a service, and then moving through to um to the experience. Um, there's actually a fifth area which has got a transformations. Um, but what what that is is what's the service that goes along with our product, or what's the service that we can offer the the market? Which mm. and every single one of these steps you move through are harder to do, but higher margin. Um, they you know produce you know sort of they produce more more profits basically. Um, then you move through into into the experiences where a lot of the businesses are at now. So they're talking about customer experiences, the new battleground. There's a lot of information out there that's sort of showing that businesses that invest in customer experience are outperforming the ones that don't by by a long margin, particularly the ones that are sort of large large sort of listed businesses. And then the next phase is moving into uh, into transformations. Um, and what that looks like is um, so a business that that sells a transformation actually sells you changing in some way. Um, so, you know, if you're selling a product that helps somebody lose weight, for example, mm-hmm. and and there is an offering all the way all the way around that, and there's training all the way around that, that's a transformation. Mm-hmm. You're selling that transformation, and I think you know if you're thinking about that as a small business. How do you move up that value chain as quickly as possible? I think is really, really interesting. So, so there's always pressure from the market to be pulled back down. You know, so the market's always trying to pull you down and, and commoditize the market you're in. But if you're constantly pushing up that line, saying, okay, well, we're selling a service that that changes people's business or their lives, or we're selling a transformation that fundamentally changes the way that they are, um, then you're, you're always going to be, you know, always going to be sort of leading in some way. Hmm. And I guess you talk about companies that need to deliver experiences that are structured. How do we start to deliver experiences that are structured in a way to deliver values? But let's say we're a product business, mm. okay? And you're talking about moving up the, and through the stages, which is moving into more of the service territory, which has higher margins. Yeah. yeah. How, how does a business that's typically structured, okay, more product orientated, yeah. how do they start moving into like a, perhaps having a service aspect to their business that enables them to deliver? high levels of value that complement the product that gives them higher margin when they've never even contemplated it before. Like they just, they sell hardware or they, you know, they, they sell bibs and bobs. Yeah. I mean, I think that, so that's, uh, I think that's where under, you know, really spending time understanding who your customer is. So there's probably terms, um, you know, there's terms that, that float around the market called, you know, like design thinking or service design, user experience design. What that's about, a lot of those are about is helping the organization develop First of all, empathy for the customer. So creating real strong empathy for who the customer is and and understanding their needs. Yeah. When you understand their needs, so I'm selling a I'm selling a pencil. Okay. So fundamentally I'm going to try and sell a pencil. So here are here are all the different ways that I can sell a pencil. And I'm then then other people come into the market and try and sell a pencil. So you then just go, well, I'm going to make my pencil cheaper. 
and then they make it cheaper. And all of a sudden, you just you just you know you're cutting your margins, it's getting cheaper. race to the bottom. Yeah. So, but then if you rather than say I'm going to make it cheaper, you actually say what I want to try and do is make it more expensive. But I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to add a service to it. So, why do my customers buy pencils? Do they buy pen, do my customers buy pencils to draw, or do they use it to to write and do certain pads? Like, what are they using it for? How can I help them perform that task? You know, it's the old idea of people don't buy a drill, you know, to to own a drill. They buy a drill first of all to make a hole, but then they you, they buy that drill to make a hole so they can hang a picture, whatever it is. So, what's the end point that they're trying to get to? You know, what's the challenge that's sort of that's sitting around your product? Then that's when you can build the service around it and actually charge more because people value it more. Mm. And then if you can then move that into the next phase, which is you know, which is how might this change their life, then you can charge an absolute premium for it. So how did you get into doing this out of curiosity? Um, so my career started in uh, so when I first left school, I started in advertising. Um, you know, found that pretty interesting. Um, so you've got a, a like a marketing background, yeah, kind advertising of, background, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, very quickly, so in the nineties, um, went to a couple of different so a technology company, yeah, and was more of a startup, and then a um, and then a digital agency in New Zealand, which um, we, so we would end up doing qu- quite a few big government websites and so on. So, so creative was it? Uh, it was creative and, and strategy, yep. and, and so I mean, at that stage, it was you know really the beginning of the internet, so you kind of. People were doing everything. Really. Yeah, right. There was no really, there was no clear roles, I suppose. <laughs> um, and and then um, and yeah, so I was doing that up, you know, sort of up until two thousand and one when I moved to Australia, and then um, and then two thousand and three. Um, well, so I was doing freelancing at that, at that point. Then two thousand and three, joined the company I'm with now. Two thousand and seven, took it over, um, restructured it, remodeled it. And then we took it through a few different phases into into sort of where it is now, but but as the market has evolved, um, we have evolved. We've constantly been thinking, you know, how do we move mm. up the value chain? How are we having the conversations that shape strategy, that shape corporate strategy, that help the business change in a in a meaningful way? Are you finding that you're having to lead the charge in many ways to almost be able to demonstrate some of the things that you're recommending to the clients that you're working with? Yeah, I mean, within reason, but yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think yeah, we have to just to a certain degree, um, and, and I, yeah. And I imagine the space you're in is it's quite fast moving. Yeah, it's highly competitive. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned about growing the business that you're in hmm. in the current times that we're in right now? Um, it's a hard one. I, I think um, you know, constantly reevaluating your focus. I think mm. is really really important. Um, and and really, you know, spending a lot of time trying to assess where the market is shifting. Um, that's probably one of the most vital elements. Um, and and it's probably not getting too caught up in one one particular model. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a lot of conversation around, you know, being nimble, being agile, those kinds of things. But but really, you know, as a, again, what does that mean? It's being allowing the organisation or giving the organisation an ability to shift as the market shifts and to define focus and specialization as you, as you go through those phases. Um, so that's been kind of our biggest. biggest How many guys on your team? Uh, there's uh, 18. 18 a team? Yeah, yeah. And so as the CEO, like what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned about leading your team? Uh, 
Um, probably, you know, it's the biggest one is not all about me. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, look, I mean, I mean, and that's, uh, that's, that's a, you know, that's a challenge. It's always a challenge, you know, mm. leading, leading as opposed to managing. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously leading from the front, being out there, being the visible face, re-evaluing and rethinking about the values, thinking about why people want to join the organization. Um, and particularly, you know, we've got, you know, a core team, which is sort of the 18, and then we've got a lot of contractors and so on that we work with as well. So we've got to try and think through how that works. Um, we've had, you know, we've been through a phase where we we were kind of probably more of a agency model. So everybody was in the business and they were there and present. We could talk to them all the time. And now we're much more of a consulting model where people are out embedded with customers yeah, right. and they're not in the office all the time. So thinking through how we manage that culture, mm. that communication, um, those elements on a day to day basis is always a challenge. Um, but it's, you know, it's a challenge. It's fun to do. You enjoy what you do? Yeah, absolutely. And by having so many people embedded into other businesses, I would assume that would give you a lot of experiential data mm. uh, and you'd, you'd getting a lot of information flowing back into the hub of your business. And with all that information and with where we're at right now, with where, you know, technology is meeting value and experience, what are the biggest mistakes that you're seeing businesses make right now that you maybe even have made yourself? Yeah. Uh, I think um, I think the biggest mistake that we see in the market is where people confuse um, buying technology with with innovation, as, as I think mm. I mentioned that before. Um, so, I mean, the way I can contextualize that is is um, is I think so during after the GFC, um, there was a lot of the world was in a huge amount of pain. You know, look at, you know, England and um, so most of Europe and particularly the United States. We were doing work over there. And in the United States, they were talking a lot about how, um, how you know, the shareholders were losing confidence and, you know, there might become a takeover target. You know, there was all this, sort of, all this sort of panic going on in the market generally. And while, you know, so what they were saying is we have to start innovating. We have to do new things. We have to work out how this is going to work. We have to we have to do a whole lot of stuff, and they know they knew full well that a lot of those things would fail, but they were willing to do that to find the change that was going to happen. And so, a lot of those businesses have been through that change, um, and you know now um, Australia is trying to catch up because at that at that same point, um, there were you know we were talking to businesses in Australia, and there was a, a much more of a conservative mood because. You know, Australia's economy was doing pretty well. You know, we had mining. Um, you know, things were okay, and the rest of the world looked really scary. So there was sort of a lack of um, willingness to sort of invest in new things, mm. do new stuff. Um, so you know, so what what happens is um, is that businesses then say, "Well, we need to catch up." Or, or we didn't realize all this competition was going to happen through e-commerce. We didn't realize social media was going to have this impact. So we need to catch up. Um, and so what what that does is, is it creates quite often a a behavior where people think they can not only catch up but they can leapfrog ahead and they think that buying software or tools will do that without realizing the organization has to actually go through pain and failure and do all these things and try lots of things in order to get to that point. Um, and I think that's so at one level the market's like so the you know, big end of the market, that's that's what's going on. So big, big software implementations that sometimes go right, but quite often don't. And then I think that's created a trend all through the market, all the way down the market, where people are looking at, 
you know, what's the software tool I can buy that's going to fix my problems? Mm. And I think that, you know, that what's, you know, and I think it's really started to change recently. So the idea of, you know, the different techniques um, that can be used to spend a lot of time understanding your customer and really understanding the problem that you're trying to solve. So spending more time on the problem than you do on the solution. Um, that's, you know, that's probably the, the space that people need to think about. Um, how can, what are the techniques I can use to understand the problem in great clarity so I have complete confidence in the decisions I'm making rather than trying to jump into solutions too quickly mm. um, because I'm worried about the next two months or the next three months. And that's something that we see, I think we see that across the board where there are so many people that try to sell first, diagnose later, mm. like shoot first, ask questions later. But something I'm noticing, and I don't know if you're noticing, you might be noticing it more where you are, but I'm, I'm starting to notice a little bit in my, in my space that I'm playing, which is a small to medium-sized place. Mm. You know, once upon a time, you know, uh, there was no software tools available. Mm. And so in order for you to have, you know, automation or, or software advantages, you had to develop it yourself. And yep. then out came a lot of tools, you know, a lot of businesses came together, you know, Salesforce is one, Infusionsoft is another, all these tools came together, zero, et cetera, to make our lives easier. But it's almost like it's re reached a crux point now where businesses as a result of that have become more efficient, but they've also become a little bit more sophisticated in some ways. Mm. Um, what I'm curious to know is though, are you starting to see, we've gone from people developing their own software to now buying off-the-shelf software, but I'm starting to see in certain, in certain industries, businesses going back to the customization of software to meet their specific needs. Now, is this just something that, are you seeing this at any, in any level where you are at right now? I think that's, I mean, that's a sign of the maturity of the market. Mm. So you've got... And, and it's a good sign. Um, so if you think about those three phases I was talking about before where, where first of all, businesses were looking at taking cost out. So yep. how can I use automation and technology yeah. to remove costs from the business? Yep. Then how can I use automation and technology to connect with customers more effectively? So mm. to basically fill the pipeline and, you know, do the marketing side of it. Now what they do, and, and all of those things that, you know, initially were custom because there weren't enough tools and then, it, then it, the market became mature. So then it was, you know, so I could just find things to do that. Um, and that's where the market is for both of those two phases now, where it's essentially you can go and run a process, an RFP process or whatever it is, and find tools to fix all of that. Mm. It's that bit in the middle, which is, okay, how do, we, how do we design something that helps us connect with our customers that nobody else has? Mm. What, are we, what is our little bit of magic? Um, and that kind of almost has to be bespoke, particularly at this point in time, um, because that's your IP. The other stuff, so, you know, so the marketing side of it um, is the, the, under, the techniques and the methodologies are pretty well understood now. Um, the, you know, you can get, you know, you can find the skills there, you can run, run those programs, you can automate a lot of it. Um, the cost out exercise of it is, is very well understood. That's a very mature space. But that bit in the middle, which is, you know, where are we finding the magic that makes, us, makes customers, you know, choose us over anybody else? Um, that's, you know, that's, that's where, you know, that's where the kind of value will be created. So I was talking to Pete Williams about this, uh, last week from Deloitte. I don't know mm -hmm. if you know Pete Williams. Yeah, yeah I know Pete. So with, he was talking about with, with these new innovations where we are creating these software tools that help us to connect with our customers more effectively. He's saying now that he thinks every, every, everything that we develop now should have a social element to that. Mm. Um, you know, that enables us to connect, but also enables our customers to be able to connect as well. Mm. Are, are you in the same kind of thinking as well? Oh, without a doubt. He was even referring to creating social elements within things so that teams can actually have that social connection as well to be able to communicate effectively and efficiently within like within systems. Yeah, I mean, and I think that makes a huge amount of sense. Yeah. I think the more communication, the more connectivity that we mm. have with inside 
pretty much everything we do, the better it's going to be and the more sticky it's going to be. Mm. I mean, you know, you think about any software tool, it's it's almost meaningless until you put your information in it. And once if you put, you know, just, you know, kind of basic, you know, sort of sort of bland information, well, you might get value out of it. But if you put emotional information into it, so, you know, the connectivity with your team and you're talking to people, where all those emotional connections are happening, then you'll value it more. Mm. So, you know, you've got kind of that, kind of that rational and that emotional, they need to work together at all times. So if there's one piece of advice that you'd give business owners that, that you could leave them with and say, okay, here's a practical piece of advice. I think regardless of what stage you're in business, this is something you need to consider. What would it be? Um, uh, my advice would be... Um, would be look at look at something like design thinking. So look at how might you, if you and your team or you and your organization, find a way to connect with your customer in a new way or find a way to define a problem that you are looking at in a new way um, rather than sort of thinking through, you know, how might I create a digital strategy and, and all those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of that's very important. But I think if you can find just one piece of magic, one little thing that you hadn't seen before that your competition hasn't seen or that your market is basically screaming out for but nobody's addressing, that can fundamentally change your business. Um, so I would, you know, so there's lots of techniques and tools out there to help do that. As I said, design thinking is one. Mm. Um, and really, really worthwhile trying to get your head around how they work because they're having a very, very big impact on the, on the business community. For people who want to find out more about Mark Cameron, where can they go to, to check you out and find more information and even connect with you? Yeah, sure. So you can, um, you can connect with me um, via my company website, so uh, w3.digital, um, or you can connect with me on Twitter, so Mark R. Cameron. Um, yeah, or you can look me up on, on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Mark, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, there's an enormous amount of wealth of information you provide us. Thank you so much. No, my, my pleasure. Glad, glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. Would love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media, at Kerwin Ray.